How did the Giants get here, and why does this offense look so bad? Hello, I am Kerry Crowley, another edition of the Kerry Crowley Show here following a 5-0 Giants defeat to the Chicago Cubs on Labor Day. Another very disappointing result for a team that should be taking control of the National League wildcard race at this point into the season, but they are absolutely not free-falling through the second half of the season. A tremendous disappointment since the start of July. Offensive numbers that are nothing to write home about unless you're telling a horror story right now. If you want more of this content through the end of the season, like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you need to do here on YouTube or on Spotify, any podcast app that you're getting this through. Let me know what you think of the show and what you would like to hear more about. But today I want to talk about how the Giants got to this point, where they are flailing in the month of September, unable to scratch across a run against the Chicago Cubs and Justin Steele, unable to score on Sunday in a very disappointing series defeat against the San Diego Potters against Seth Lugo. They scratched across just one run on Saturday against Blake Snell. It has been a rough go of it for the Giants the last three days, but really it's been a rough go of it since the start of July when this team began to fall apart, when certain players that the Giants were counting on Throughout the first half of the season, whether it be Lamont Wade Jr., Tyro Estrada, J.D. Davis, when those players began to slump and the other veteran hitters on the roster, namely Mitch Hanniger and Michael Conforto, who've been in and out of the lineup with with injuries that have prevented them from playing, when those guys all failed to produce for this team, it has been really tough for the Giants to not just hold their ground in the National League wildcard race, but to not avoid losing ground. And that is what they've done over the last few weeks or so. Right now, can't say for sure, not all the results are in, but it looks like they will be on the outside of the playoff picture looking in after Monday's games. And it's just disappointing. And I get the question a lot. What led them to this point? What decisions did they make this season that forced the team to look as uncompelling and as you know, flat out disappointing, not entertaining, whatever adjective you want to use, however you want to describe the San Francisco Giants. It's just been really, really difficult to watch of late. And I think that if you're looking for the source of why the Giants look the way they do, you can actually trace it back all the way to the 2021 season when the Giants win 107 games. And it's really Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler's celebration of what they can accomplish together in San Francisco. Nearly everything that could have gone right for the Giants didn't just go right. It went perfectly for the Giants in that season. A franchise record, 107 wins. They get bounce back years from Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt. They're allowed to build up their farm system. The depth that year was Tyro Estrada. The depth that year was Lamont Wade Jr. These were guys who were coming up from the minor leagues. These were the players expected to help out the Giants when a guy went on the injured list, not the players thrust into starting spots who then, if they go down or they struggle to produce, the Giants don't have a layer of talent behind them. And so I think that back in 2021, when Farhan was first assembling his true roster with the Giants and Gabe Kapler was finding his groove with the Giants as the manager, uh, the Giants felt that they could coach up veteran players. There was proof proof of concept in Buster Posey bouncing back and Brandon Belt having a career best season. Brandon Crawford finishing fourth in the National League MVP voting. They felt that they could take on reclamation projects from around the league. Kevin Gossman, who had really failed to live up to his potential at that juncture of his career, they could coach them up, they could get them to buy in, and that their internal culture that the Giants had established with Gabe Kapler and the brand new coaching staff that he brought on board in San Francisco, that their internal culture could make up for the talent deficiencies. And maybe you're able to do that one year, but I think that a lot of us who followed sports for a long time know that that's incredibly difficult to do and be sustainable in doing that. And that's exactly what the Giants have tried to do over the last two seasons or so. They really leaned in after 2021 and 
I use that phrase because it's the phrase the Giants used after 2016 when they were bounced in the National League uh, Division Series by the Chicago Cubs. Very disappointing result there. The even-year magic ended in 2016. They lean in on that group. They add Mark Melanson to the mix. Obviously, the four-year $64 million contract does not work out. Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans go scrambling. 2017 comes around. They lose 98 games. It's an utter disaster. It's a franchise-altering moment, and the Giants decide instead of blowing Blowing things up in 2017 in the offseason after losing 98 games, securing the number two overall draft pick, that they would try to win with that core once more. And it led to trades for Andrew McCutcheon, for Evan Longoria. They tried to win again with that group and they suffered the consequences in 2018, which is why Bobby Evans was ultimately fired, didn't have his contract renewed at the end of that season, why Brian Sabian was pushed to the background in the organization, why Larry Bear went out and sought a next gen general manager, player, president of baseball operations in Farhan Zaidi. The Giants felt like they had to reverse course and do the opposite of what they'd done. And Farhan Zaidi was ultimately the pick. Of course, 2019, Bruce Bochy's last season, there's not going to be major changes when you're ushering out someone who did not want to be a part of the big picture changes that the Giants were making to their organization. Bochy was loyal to Sabian. He was loyal to Evans. He was doing things his way. And I do think that he had a really good relationship with Farhan Zaidi in their one year working together. I do think that both of them learned a lot from each other. But the point is, it was not going to be a long-term marriage. And so you kind of look at 2019 and say almost a wasted year for the organization because you've got one foot in a new generation, one foot in the past. And the Giants really unable to make much progress aside from just adding prospects to the farm system that year. Look, they found guys on the waiver wire. Mike Yastrzemski became the big find from that season. But ultimately, you go into 2020 expecting better results, expecting that this would be kind of, the Giants never used the term rebuild, but it would be a step in their rebuild, which is exactly kind of what the Giants wanted to do. They didn't want to do the full-scale rebuild of the Houston Astros, the Chicago Cubs, and I'm a belief that if you're a major market team, there's no excuses. You shouldn't be doing full-scale rebuilds. You owe it to your fans to try to compete every single season. But the Giants just didn't have the talent internally, and they couldn't go acquire all the talent externally to really become a factor in 2020. Of course, the pandemic happens, you have a 60-game season, and the Giants end up finishing 29-31, and 31, eliminated what? Second to last day of the season, final day of the season. 2020 is a blur for everyone, and I don't think we learned a whole lot about the Giants' roster building strategies about the way that they would approach the future in that season. But you go into 2021, and that's where the Giants win 107 games. That's where everything comes together in a way that's shocking. And I don't want to say counterproductive for the organization, but I do think if, say, they win 92, 93 games, their approach to building a roster, their approach to acquiring talent might look a little different than what it does right now. And the Giants had found so much success with these reclamation projects, with the guys who they found on the waiver wire or acquired minor trades, whether it be a Yastrzemski, a Lamont Wade, a Kevin Gossman, who was you know a bargain-free agent signing when the Giants initially got him on the one-year, $9.5 million deal that they did, that they said, hey, our culture is strong enough internally that we can go out and continue to figure out how to do this. But after a 107-win season... The Giants take a huge step back in 2022. And what led to that? Well, for one, Buster Posey announced his retirement, which is a drastic, 
drastic day in the franchise's history because Buster Posey was the anchor of three World Series teams. Look, he's not the greatest player to ever wear a Giants uniform. You can debate Barry Bonds, Willie Mays. He's not the most beloved player to wear a Giants uniform. Willie McCovey, uh, I think, earns that nod and maybe one of the most celebrated players. There's so many other players who contributed to successful Giants teams, successful Giants seasons who have earned, uh, you know, the right to have their legacy celebrated with the within the organization. But I, I think that Buster Posey meant so much to those Giants World Series teams and meant so much to the fabric and the culture of who the Giants were when he decided to retire in 2021 that there was no, no point but admitting that it was going to be a step back even if you were thrusting the number two overall pick from the 2018 draft, Joey Bart, into his place to be his successor last season. And so, Not only does Buster Posey step into retirement, but the inevitable kind of happens. Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, they're back for another season, and they regress by and large to the players that they were. Look, Crawford, an incredible San Francisco giant. I think one of the 10 best players, position players of the San Francisco era, if you're considering his achievements, four gold gloves, a couple silver sluggers, just a tremendous shortstop. But expecting him to be you know, repeat that MVP caliber season in 2022, that was going to be expecting a lot. Brandon Belt, oft injured throughout his career. We knew the knee was bulky. You just weren't going to get the 30 home run season that he was on course for before that broken hand in the Colorado series, the end of the 2021 season. So where does that leave the Giants? What do they try to do? Well, Kevin Gossman is the one free agent who I thought really wanted to return to San Francisco. And I thought you could have paired him with Logan Webb atop this Giants rotation, built with pitching, built with defense, built with athleticism. But instead, the Giants decide to let Kevin Gossman walk. They say, we're not going to match or exceed that five-year, $110 million contract from the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to go out and find our own replacement. It's Carlos Rodon. And guess what? Last season, Carlos Rodon effectively did replace Kevin Gossman, but over the long haul, that was never going to happen because he'd signed a two-year, $44 million deal with the option to opt out or opt in after that first season. And when you're a risk-averse franchise, two years for $44 million for a pitcher who has an injury history, that's kind of a risky move. But at the same time, If you want to really take a gamble, if you want to really bet on your future, if you want to really bet on your ability to develop players and that the positive habits that you instill with them will work over the long haul, you re-sign Kevin Gossman and you take the lump if it doesn't work out over five years or 110, 115 million, whatever it would have taken to get him back to San Francisco. And so he was the rare free agent who maybe wanted to come back to this organization. A lot of free agents like playing in hotter weather, like the East Coast, whatever. Preferences are preferences. But the point is, they missed an opportunity on that knowing that Carlos Rodon was not going to be a long-term replacement. So the other moves that they make after that 2021 season, they go out and they sign Alex Cobb. They give extensions or re-sign Anthony DiScalfani, Alex Wood. They build through their rotation with veteran, oft-injured starters who'd had mixed results throughout the course of their career. And give the Giants credit, Alex Cobb, some of the best years of his career have come in San Francisco. The guy was borderline all-star caliber this year. I think that you look at what he did against the Cincinnati Reds last week, and that will go down as one of the great starts of his career, one of the great memories of his career. But he's been hot and cold, and I don't think that you can count on him over the course of 100 62 game season at the age of 35 years old to be your number two starter 
if your intention is to be a bona fide playoff team, if your intention is to compete with the Dodgers and the Padres, which is what the Giants have told us they plan to do. And so when you go into a season saying, we're going to be a playoff team, the playoffs are the goal, and you have an Alex Cobb as your number two instead of your number three, and you have question marks in Anthony DiScafani and Alex Wood, your rotation can fall apart. And give the Giants credit here. They have found a way with the pitching staff. But the bottom line is, the offense over the last two seasons just has not been good enough. They hit all those home runs in 2021. It felt like every time they needed one, they got a timely three-run home run. But what have they done to fortify that offense after the 2021 season? Well, they let the primary hitting coach, Donnie Ecker, walk to the Texas Rangers. They did not replace him externally with someone who was in a really high position. They brought in an assistant coach who worked under Justin Veeley and Dustin Lynn in San Francisco. And I think that it, you know the loss of Donnie Ecker certainly impacted the Giants' preparation for these games. And when you don't replace players like a Buster Posey, like a Brandon Belt through free agency or the trade market, you're going to see a drop-off. And that's what happened in 2022. Look, the Giants signed Jock Peterson, but Jock Peterson was available to be signed at the contract he was because for as good as he's been at certain junctures of his career for the great 2021 postseason that he had with the Atlanta Braves, Jock Peterson is a flawed player. You can't play him against left-handed pitchers. You can't play him in the field on a consistent basis without him becoming a defensive liability. And so it leads to a lineup that is structurally flawed. It leads to putting more players in positions where they're not necessarily geared for success. And it leads to, after a 107-win season, an 81-81 and season. And so a tremendous disappointment. Uh, the Giants obviously knew their rotation wasn't good enough. Their lineup had too many unproductive veteran hitters. And you couple that last season, which with, I think, was the major factor in kind of their downfall last year. The farm system just didn't produce. The farm system didn't have talent coming up and helping the major league team, whether it be in the rotation, bullpen, or lineup. Guys were still a year away. Guys in Patrick Bailey, Marco Luciano, Hunter Bishop, all these highly talented prospects were dealing with injuries that prevented them from being able to, say, acquire a Juan Soto at last year's trade deadline. It put the Giants in a really tough position. So how did they react to the 2022 500 season. I think that their reaction tells us why the Giants have been so disappointing of late. I think their reaction shows us why the Giants are currently outside of a playoff position looking in, in a race that they absolutely should have a playoff position locked down because the Mets have been failures, the Padres have been failures, the Cardinals have been failures. And if you told the Giants that at the outset of the season, that if you knew the Padres, the Mets, and the Cardinals would be outside the playoff picture, absolutely no excuses inside the walls of Willie Mays Plaza, 24 Willie Mays Plaza. They would tell you they absolutely need to be a playoff team, but their reaction to going 81 and 81, they pursued Aaron Judge, a noble cause. It wasn't going to work out. We probably knew that Judge was returning to the Yankees, and we found out last minute that the Giants offer was going to be beat by the San Diego Padres offer anyway, so Judge was probably not coming to San Francisco. Plan B, You've got to have a plan B when you don't get Aaron Judge. What was the Giants' plan B? Of the big four shortstops on the market, you look at Dansby Swanson, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, and Carlos Correa. The Giants made Correa their target. And look, you can say maybe they should have pursued Trey Turner, or maybe they should have gone after Dansby Swanson. But I think we know that the reality is Trey Turner wanted to be on the East Coast. It's why he quickly signed that 11-year, $300 million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. And Dansby Swanson wanted to be closer to his wife, Mallory Pugh, Mallory Swanson. And so Chicago was a great fit. She's a professional soccer player. It just worked out for them. Now, could the Giants have signed Xander Bogarts? Would that have been the right decision? 
Maybe, maybe not, but I I think that signing Carlos Correa was their pivot. And Carlos Correa, the 11-year, $315 million deal, we all know what happens there. It falls through. The medicals don't check out. Maybe in the long run, the Giants will benefit from that. Obviously, Correa having a very disappointing season, the first year of a mega deal with the Minnesota Twins. Maybe the Giants will benefit 10, 15 years from now by not having Correa on the books. But my point in all of this is saying, If Aaron Judge was your plan A and Carlos Correa was your plan B, what is your plan C? Because the expectation in this year for Farhan Zaidi, 2023, is that the Giants would have a playoff caliber squad. And so what did they do? They went out and spread money around to a lot of players who, similar to the ones they acquired the previous offseason, were flawed. And they did that with the hope that their internal culture would help these players and the hope that they could coach up these veteran players and by putting them on plans that would keep them healthy. You've got Mitch Haniger, You've got Michael Conforto, who, by the way, sat out the 2022 season. You've got Ross Stripling. You've got Sean Mania, who had a pretty bad 2022 season. You've got Taylor Rogers. Okay, if that's your plan, it better work out. To spread money around like the Giants did, hey, Different teams take different approaches, and if Aaron Judge didn't work out, if Carlos Correa didn't work out, then Plan C has got to work out. We're not cutting anyone slack for it being Plan C. You look at where the Giants are on September 4th, Labor Day, and this plan obviously did not work out. You can point to free agents. You can say, well, what about this player? What about this player? My bottom line is, I don't care who's available in free agency. I don't really care if you're thinking about saying, hey, This prospect could be on the move. This prospect could be traded for Major League Talent. The bottom line is, you just have to get it done. And creative front offices find way to get this done. Creative front offices find way to sign players who are available. Creative front offices think long and hard about bringing in a player with an injury history, like the Giants did with Michael Conforto and with with Mitch Haniger. And instead, they pursue, say, a Cody Bellinger, who could have been had on the one-year deal that the Cubs got him with. Of course, we know that Cody Bellinger has had success in the National League West before. We know that that swing was a mess when he was non-tendered by the Dodgers. But the bottom line is, if you're betting on players to have success— in your internal culture, in your system that you've built in San Francisco, you have got to scour the market and get these selections correct. And the Giants just didn't do that that this offseason. So they spread their money around. It was Hanniger, it was Conforto, it was Stripling, it was Manaya, it was Taylor Rogers, and that was the quintet of players who they expected to help build off of an 81 and 81 season where the Giants really had not found a replacement for Buster Posey. Jo- Joey Bart hadn't proven to be that guy where they really you know, we're banking on someone coming in and just taking over for Brandon Belt. Lamont Wade Jr. throughout the first half of the season absolutely looked like that guy. He looked like the long-term answer at first base, and maybe he is that guy long-term. But Lamont Wade Jr. can't really hit lefties, and that has been a difficult thing that the Giants have had to deal with this season. And so where has all of these decisions over the course of the past few seasons left this team? Well, you look at September 4th, the Giants didn't score. You look at September 3rd, the Giants didn't score. You look at September 2nd, and the Giants only score one run. And so this is a flailing offense that's the worst in the major leagues throughout the second half of the season. Lowest in runs headed into today, lowest in OPS headed into today. And when you get shut out by the Cubs and Justin Steele, that is an indictment on the decisions that you've made. And so there's no punch in this lineup. Mitch Hanniger has been hurt and unproductive. Michael Conforto has been hurt and inconsistent. The Giants' plans for this lineup did not pan out. And really, quite frankly, their rotation plans didn't pan out either. Ross Tripling and Sean Manaya, the guys that they've signed to compete for the fourth and fifth starter jobs, 
They really haven't filled those roles. The Giants have been creative in finding other ways to maximize their pitching staff. Alex Wood was going to be a year older. Anthony DiSclefani was coming off a major surgery and a major injury that limited him in the number of starts that he was able to make last season. So there were question marks about this rotation. I don't think the Giants did enough to really fill that out. And yet, they still performed during the first half of the season. You give the players on the field credit. Logan Webb was excellent. After signing the five-year $90 million extension, Logan Webb absolutely lived up to the ace billing and more. Camilo Doval has morphed into a star in front of our eyes ever since September 2021 when he came up and won NL Reliever of the Month. The guy has been stellar. He just hasn't had any opportunities to pitch during the second half of the season. Patrick Bailey, you give him credit for infusing this club with energy. Wilmer Flores has been the consummate pro, has had a career year at the plate, but he's the only one having a career year at the plate because you look at the other players the Giants expected to count on in this lineup, and it's Tyro Estrada, it's Lamont Way Jr., it's J.D. Davis, and all three of those players, fine players, but they're probably better suited to be role players than they are to be top three or top four hitters in your lineup. And yet the Giants have had to treat them as everyday players since Brandon Crawford's been in and out of the lineup with injuries in his age 36 season, starting at shortstop, which by the way, only Hall of Famers have really done that. You have to look back at Derek Jeter, Cal Ripken Jr., Barry Larkin. Those guys are the most successful age 36 shortstops. Otherwise, they just simply don't exist. So I really cut Crawford some slack this season because he was put in a position that is almost unprecedented for a player of his caliber, which is Hall of Very Good in my eyes, but not Hall of Fame caliber. And so you look at what the Giants could have done, and they could have fortified their lineup. They could have fortified their rotation in different ways. And you get to the trade deadline, and I know a lot of people did not want to add for this team. I know a lot of people did not want to part with prospects because the Giants have brought up so much young and you know improving talent this season that has infused the lineup, infused the ballpark with energy. But I think you look at the trade deadline as one of the reasons the Giants have let this grip on the wild card slip. And what were their moves? It was acquiring A.J. Pollock. It was acquiring Mark Mathias, the utility infielder. They acquired nothing at the trade deadline. They did not say, this front office and ownership group did not say, hey, we're going to use our resources. We're going to pool them together and we're going to take on players with big contracts. We're going to bring in guys who we know can help this team. Heimer Candelario, who played against the Giants today, was available at the trade deadline. He could have helped out third base with J.D. Davis struggling. He could have been forced into a bench role for the Giants. Maybe he send Casey Schmidt down to AAA to get some seasoning. That's not happening. But the bottom line is, if you weren't going to add at the trade deadline, then you need to just turn things over to your youth movement. You need to turn things over to the prospects. And so I wonder why we're sitting here on September 4th and watching this Giants lineup as is, and why Elliot Ramos isn't in the lineup, why Luis Matos isn't in the lineup, uh, why you got a guy who's oft injured, Marco Luciano, who was sent down right after the trade deadline and suffered that injury at AAA Sacramento. I think it's one thing if Luciano was dealing with the injury at the major league level. But remember, after the trade deadline, the Giants sent him back to AAA Sacramento. And it's not as if they added a really great player, Mark Mathias, to take those reps. It's not as if They've figured out a way to plug the gigantic hole that has existed at shortstop this season. Paul DeYoung had the great game in Philadelphia, but they signed him for free. Paul DeYoung has been, what, 8 for 80 in his last 80 at-bats? I mean, the guy has really struggled since the trade deadline, going first to Toronto and then to San Francisco. And so it's just put the Giants in a miserable position right now. It's put their fans in a miserable position because they're lacking juice, they're lacking entertainment value. And you wonder why there were sub-25,000 fans watching Kyle Harrison at Oracle Park in his 
electric Oracle Park home debut, and it's because the Giants just have not given their fans reasons over the last few seasons with their roster-building approach, with their role-player approach, to come out to the yard. They have not earned the benefit of the doubt, and they continue to take themselves away from the benefit of doubt. They continue to lose margin for error in that regard with their player acquisition strategy. And so I'm fascinated what happens this offseason, less so about what happens for the remainder of the 2023 season, because I think that after the Giants reacted the way they did to a 107-win season in 2021 by leaning in on their culture, reacting the way they did in 2022 by saying, hey, reclamation projects, guys who are flawed can still get us to the postseason next year, something has to change this offseason. Because this year's free agent crop, when you look at it, isn't all that great. And so I think the Giants are going to have to be creative in looking for trades for young Major League talent players who are still establishing themselves. I think the Giants might have to part with prospects. I wonder if Luciano, who has dealt with a significant number of injuries in his minor league career, including a back, could be included as a trade chip. I think it's a fair question to ask because of the number of injuries he's dealt with. And I think that the Giants have to consider all options to improve moving forward. And if they want to be taken seriously as a team that should contend for a playoff spot on an annual basis, then their approach to roster building will have to become less risk averse. Right now, I think the Giants have leaned in after 2021, leaned in after 2022, and they've been afraid to take a gamble. And yes, Carlos Correa would have been a gamble, but also pushing through those medicals, that would have been a gamble. And so the Giants once again took the risk averse route, and I think that they are seeing the fruits of that pay off this year or not pay off in what has been a middle of the road season. Because when you don't gamble, when you don't take chances, you tend to float toward the middle of the pack. And that might be good enough in an expanded wildcard era. And it might ultimately be good enough this season because the Giants still have seven games left against the Colorado Rockies. But the bottom line is fans are not going to pack the ballpark for a sixth place wildcard team. Fans are not going to pack the ballpark for an NLDS when they don't believe that the Giants can win the NLDS. Fans are not going to pack the ballpark for a rotating cast of role players. The absolute best thing that can happen to this franchise is for Elliot Ramos, Luis Matos, Casey Schmidt, Patrick Bailey, Kyle Harrison to all come into 2024 and establish themselves as everyday guys, guys who the fan base can rally around and they know that they'll be here like a Logan Webb, like a Camilo Doval for the next five or six seasons. They can celebrate those players. But as the Giants found out in 2010, 2012, and 2014, you can have a great homegrown core as the Giants did in those seasons. The Giants had a generational homegrown core in those seasons. And this homegrown core, for as good as it might be, probably not generational. You're still going to have to supplement from the outside. You're still going to have to take some gambles. And I would prefer those be bigger gambles than taking risks on flawed players injury history players like a Mitch Haniger, like a Michael Conforto, like an Anthony DiScalfani. So here the Giants are 70 and 68 competing with a bunch of teams in the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, the Reds that also didn't really plan on being in the postseason picture. This was the year they were supposed to take a step back and the Padres, the Mets, and the Cardinals were going to assert themselves. Well, it's been a wasted opportunity for the Giants because they have been unable to assert themselves. So something has to change. In the past, the Giants have bet on organizational culture. As I said, they did in 2021, 2022. 
That will not be good enough this offseason. They can only get you so far. You need to bring in proven talent. You need to bring in emerging talent. You need to grow your own talent on the farm. The Giants have to make sure that that is the priority this offseason because what we've seen over the past two years simply has not been good enough. And I think that fans know that they are tired of the product that's being put out there and they want players who are going to be around for a while and are easy to root for for a while. I just think the Giants, who are mostly built on role players, players with injury histories, players with flaws, don't fit that bill right now. So I am Kerry Crowley. If you like today's analysis, please like, subscribe, or comment either on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I will do more of these throughout the remainder of the regular season. If you like it enough, if you subscribe enough, we'll do it throughout the offseason. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode.